Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Zarniak, and this is Players, conversations with country music artists about their interest in sports. This episode is a conversation with singer-songwriter Ryan Hurd. And when I say songwriter, I mean like prolific songwriter who has written several top hits for massive country stars. Uh, that includes his wife, who is a country superstar, Marin Morris. I thought this episode was so interesting because... He's so deep and he's funny and he is a sports fanatic, but the stories also that he opened up and, and did share about he and Marin and about how they deal together with the fame and all that stuff like that, it was really candid and really honest. Um, and as much as I loved hearing that stuff and about how their whole relationship started with songwriting and collaborating, I really loved learning about Ryan, you know, and Ryan right now is in the midst of, um, he's about to be touring this summer. He is right now watching his singles rise to the top michigan for the winter is a huge hit his story behind that song is pretty cool because he really went into his process and how it all starts and to me that is so foreign because i talk sports but that's a different language and i just am so fascinated by all of it um also to a t is another song that he has right now that is doing so well but um Two things I took away is that apparently he is a phenomenal baseball player. He told a really great story about that. But also, you know, he made the transition from sticking to really just songwriting for other people and occasionally himself to embarking on this solo career and He's loving it. He's doing really well, but he's also very open about the trials and tribulations that come along with that. And he told a hilarious story about the one thing that was unexpected. And I can't wait for you to hear what it is because I guarantee um, you will laugh. But Ryan Hurd, I can't say enough about him. Um, So much fun to talk to. Really enjoyed the time. And he's huge. He's going to get even bigger. um, And I hope that you like this conversation as much as I did. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me here. This is awesome. We've already been talking for 10 minutes. I know, and I should have been rolling. No, it's okay. I'm glad that part wasn't recorded. (laughs) More fun to get to later. Um, So speaking of California, I mean, how much, what is is that part of your life like? Do people recognize you all the time? No, I, um, in Nashville, like if I'm downtown, I get recognized a lot. But, and then like in East Nashville, I don't know, just depends on, what it is, but uh, Marion gets recognized quite a bit, so uh, we you know have to kind of plan for that. But we no most most everything's easy still and fun. In <laughs> California, we go out there quite a bit to work. We don't spend a ton of time out there like for pleasure, but but yeah, we get to do a lot of fun stuff. How do you plan for it when you have to plan for it when you guys are in town here? Uh. You just always have to have like an exit strategy. Like, how are we getting home? Is it gonna, like, how quick can it be? We've gotten like caught downtown, like waiting on an Uber before in a really busy spot. And that's gotten kind of, that's been challenging. But for the most part, like, you know, we, we kind of grew up, like, we became adults in this town and we love going out and we've always loved living in Nashville so it's not like we want to hide or she wants to hide or you know we love you know there's certain bars that we have an affinity for and there's certain restaurants that we love going to and most people are super friendly you know Mm -hmm. the hardest part has been because this town the profile of Nashville has grown so much there's so many tourists here not even on the weekends just all the time and when I'm a tourist I like to go see the local flavor i like to see the things that aren't touristy and so that's been the thing is like people have discovered the cool spots in nashville and oh well so tell me what t- <laughs> i'll tell, <laughs> tell you me later what those are because i'll tell you later <laughs> uh but for the mo- like for the most part people are awesome and, and it's really we have we have no problems for the most part and uh but yeah you think like you hear stories about nashville being like uh i mean it's always been a place that people felt comfortable just existing and still being in country music and for the most part it's still true like people generally leave you alone and sometimes you take some pictures here and there but you know like i remember watching uh you know did you ever watch that the jerry seinfeld thing the what's the comedians in cars getting coffee (laughs) okay jerry does this thing with zach galifianakis 
he takes Zach out and Zach's talking about how he gets really bothered when people ask him to take photographs in public and Jerry says why it's public and he's like well doesn't that bother you isn't that an invasion of privacy he goes it's not an invasion of privacy we're in we're in public Zach and he goes well some one time somebody like took a photo of me in my house and he goes yeah that's not that's not okay but if you're in public like you should be nice to people and so like I am a huge Zach Galifianakis fan even I am a gigantic Jerry Seinfeld fan and Julia Louis-Dreyfus fan but I just when I saw that just I think we both of us saw it at the same time I was like I am making a conscious decision to be a Jerry like like just when people come up to you in public and stuff it's a compliment and it's very nice of them to want to have their picture with you and so like I've I've been a jerk before and it's it never ends up well and so uh, I just you know both of us really enjoy that part of our lives and it's really a small thing to do just very quickly and then you go about your day and it's fine even if it's in the middle of dinner right that i'm sure that never happens actually really you know why That's awesome. bobby bones our friend bobby who does the big radio show um he has made it his crusade to tell all country music fans that you are always welcome to tell someone that you're a fan of them but leave them alone when they're with their kids or when they're eating and I'm not kidding, people. When That's you're eating, really cool. When you're eating, people leave you alone. When you walk out of the restaurant, they'll, they'll want a photograph. <laughs> so you just stay at the table for a very long. Right, but it's fine. It's yeah. no, it takes two seconds, and you move on, and that's great. What was it like growing up in um, Kalamazoo? Thank you for asking. Uh, I am was born in Chicago. My whole family is from Chicago, and then I grew up in a town. It's halfway between Chicago and Detroit. So my mom's family has always had a lake house in West Michigan which is basically Kalamazoo. So I've always, since I was zero years old, like felt really at home in Michigan. And so I kind of claim both when it's convenient for me, like my biggest market. You mean Chicago and yeah, Michigan? My biggest market in, in as an artist is Chicago. And uh, just, it's our biggest radio market. Why do you, I mean, why is Chicago? It have, well, yeah. We have, it has two massive radio stations. Mm -hmm. It's a Midwest town and you know, New York and LA are bigger cities, but Chicago attracts people from like a four hour radius, right? Like just people flock to that town. And a lot of people grow up outside of Chicago in like these Midwestern towns and then move to the city. So the people are just so nice. massive country fans you know? in Chicago, Illinois. They have the best club in the, in the world for country music, Joe's on weed. And uh, so they've just really cultivated a gigantic fan base. And be, me being from Chicago, I have great relationships with the Cubs and great relationships with all the people who do country music in that city. And so, so I get to claim it. And so then I, that's our biggest market. But uh, growing up in Kalamazoo is cool. I grew up like, you know, in a, on a lake mm -hmm. and grew up like water skiing and like 20 minutes from Lake Michigan. And, um, so yeah, I just, I'm a Midwest kid who ended up doing this, moved here for college and stayed, so. Was that your plan back no, then? It's hard to like tell a 17 year old kid they had a plan, but I went to Belmont and I, I think my mom wanted me to do music and I just wanted to go to college in Nashville cause I liked, I was like, this town is awesome. And I took, you know, I, I ended up getting a sociology degree <laughs> which so <laughs> they didn't know what that was they didn't like that very much but. <laughs> well what were you thinking what were you gonna do I wanted to go to grad school at Michigan and I had kind of made some plans to do that and uh, I wanted to go into the urban planning program I got yeah and I got into the rural sociology <laughs> program at Wisconsin and the urban planning program at Michigan was an option and uh, just couldn't pull the trigger so that's when I started writing songs and then what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Wait, so your mom, your mom knew obviously of your yeah, talent for it. I've always done music. Like yeah. I grew up, my mom plays piano and my dad would sing in church and I would write songs. I started writing songs when I was like 14. And uh, with the guy I still do most of my creative work with, his name's Aaron S. Heiss and we grew up together in Kalamazoo and moved, went to Belmont together. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went and did a lot of music stuff while I was doing school shit. I feel and like Belmont's always that um, that school that is always in the tournament. You know, it's always just there. Yeah. Right. I was there the first year they went. My freshman year, they went to the tournament for the first time. How was that? It was incredible. I mean, it's it's a small school, and that's like the Super Bowl is like winning your 
your conference to go just see your name on the bracket i mean and also like we almost beat duke that year that was, that was my sophomore year i think if alex so renfro could in, if alex renfro could inbound the ball <laughs> more alex we would have won i'm not <laughs> kidding gerald henderson stole the ball on the inbounds went coast to coast and laid finger roll to win with zero seconds left do you remember george mason yeah and that's i was covering that team in washington when they went to the final four could have been us i'm just could've kidding it could not have been us <laughs> <Could've> been <you. laughs> we were a bunch of scrawny whatever um, it couldn't have been us but there's nothing like it there's nothing i mean that is that is such a magical um sport did you like the tournament this year um i mean how can you not no for why what part of it no i loved it what what, what stuck out to you most virginia well i bet against virginia every single game why i'm from virginia so that for me that was like my serendipitous because choice they were, but they were also good hugely talented they're good bets we to would fail i lost every single one of them but listen to this <laughs> the first one i bet against was when he hit that weird shot to tie the game right with the the kid with the bleached hair tall kid mm-hmm. with zero seconds left it was like that very improbable they were like down six with like 15 seconds left and they tied the game right or something like that and then they did that same thing to purdue and then the same thing in the final final four it's just like all these like terrible beats <laughs> but it was it was incredible and they were so it was like i felt like this was the mo- the tournament i got the most invested in even though michigan that's not true I, michigan the year before went to the national championship but i watched that game in bora bora on my ipad you're at the Michigan game? Yeah, the, against Villanova. Actually, both of them. Loyola as well. What time was that, I wonder? that was. It was like... <laughs> like <laughs> I think it was like 11.30 in the morning or something. Yeah. And Bora Bora is the most amazing place. That's where we went on our honeymoon. That's where we went on our honeymo- honeymoon. So fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I okay. feel like I'm so, all over the place. I'm so, so sorry. Now I'm thinking about like the yeah. final four and all this other stuff. Uh, wait, so what sports did you play? So I, I, I interrupted you somewhere back there. So I'm not sure the track that we were on, but that's okay. We'll I grew up there. in Kalamazoo and right. I went to a really small Christian school and we were a class D athletic program. And so I played soccer. We had a top 10 soccer program in the state, I played basketball. And we were just okay. We won our, our conference my senior year that was a big deal and then i played baseball and baseball was my favorite so i was a catcher oh wow yeah how was that i i loved it i liked i liked i don't know i liked playing catcher because i would never get bored i they let me call a game so i could like call the pitches and it just you're never bored when you're the catcher and then i liked trying to throw people out and, uh, and I was a leadoff hitter, so I, you know, I got to hit a lot. And can I, you can you equate things that you learned from that position to what you do now in music? Yeah, because I remember my my best friend was our kind of our our stud pitcher, and I just remember he was not good if he was mad. And I just when I now that like we do this music is so much of what being a country music artist like so much of what that entails has nothing to do with music it's just about like leading an organization right and so i think every day about how do i get the most out of these people like how do i get the most out of my guitar player like what makes him tick what makes him happy if like what's one little thing i can do to make him excited less if we were having a really hard travel day or something like what's one little thing i can do to make it a little easier on him so that he's not stressed out about x so i think that like when you're the catcher you're thinking about like all right how does this kid throw a strike on the next pitch and then it's sort of the same thing when you're like in charge of a band and also like responsible for like your relationship with your label and your agent which is where we are right now and (laughs) you always have to like be thinking like because some days you just want to tell somebody off Mm -hmm. but that doesn't necessarily make it the right move it's like you might be justified in your the way you feel but it doesn't make you doesn't mean that like it's going to help you like and so that's i i mean that's seriously what like being a catcher is 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 just like all right this kid has to he might 
have thrown you know you might have walked the last three guys but he has to throw a strike on this next pitch so how do i get him to do that i could tell him that he's walked three guys in a row but he already knows that right so i don't know that's a very long answer <laughs> yeah but that's so at what point do you start to realize that because i mean that that's news to me right i mean i think Probably you the last have a lot to worry about with just year and a half mary really? and i have the same manager and um i have like a whole team full of women who are amazing my business managers are both women my tour manager is the only guy on my team who's a dude, which Jeez. is awesome. And Chase is sitting over here. But, uh, you know, I, I've just, I think in the last year and a half, I've, I've kind of realized, like, like, just the, w like the way in which I interact with people is, is, is really important. And the way that, like, you lead I know it's just it's just Ryan Hurd. It's not Kenny Chesney. And I, there's not 200 people on the road with me. There's eight plus three. So there's like nine plus three now, I guess. Wow. We have a full bus. But it's still really important to like make sure that you're getting the most out of every single person every single day. And, and that includes your manager and it includes, I don't know. I think it's just a people thing. It's not a business thing and it's not a sports thing. It's like... I think the more you, when you grow up a little bit and you realize like, okay, I could, I can express the way that I actually feel right now, or I can just like take a deep <laughs> breath and then like figure out the actual right move. And, uh, yeah, that's something that in the last year and a half I've had to like really take stock of. Cause sometimes it's hard to just shut up. You know, not I'm, right. I mean, I'm speaking from my personal yeah, experience. I'm 32 years old. I'm not 22. And so like, I've gone through a lot of different things in the last seven years in music that have like, I mean, I've written for other artists and I've gotten my own record deal and I've like had my own artist project that I've had to try to get off the ground and I feel like I finally have, but you know, there are some things that you can be completely justified in feeling that will never serve you going forward if you express them. So like it's sometimes it's like, you know, you just suck it up. Who taught you that? Was it the, the uh, women? Me really being terrible at this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> like really I mean was there like a come to Jesus moment with it or I no mean, I mean like what we do is very emotionally taxing I mean you get it you travel a lot right mm -hmm. it's hard to be away from your family and it's hard to like when you feel like you've hit a wall and you've been working really hard and it just doesn't work out like that's hard to deal with and so like I think everybody who does music for a living has felt that where they've like worked and worked and worked and that's just the result never came and I think at some point you either say like okay we're gonna we're gonna figure out the next move or you can get angry about it and you can tell everybody how much they suck and that'll that just doesn't it doesn't work out in the in the long run i think that like one thing i've done a really good job of is like i'm kind of a survivor like i'm i'm really good at like sticking around long enough to stay in the game to where like eventually it becomes successful and like I've had a lot of success as a songwriter outside of my artist project but as an artist I've been had a record deal for two years now and it never it very rarely pops off like a rock uh, like a rocket ship right usually you have to build something and I always just keep that in mind it's like all right you're we're building we're building like we had a tough weekend last weekend we didn't sell very many tickets this is my first time ever touring as a headline artist in these rock clubs and we're out in Boston and upstate New York. We're a long way from home and there's a lot of, a lot of money on the line. And you're like, man, we're a long way from home to only sell X amount of whatever. And, but then you think about it, it's like, I could throw a fit and I could be real mad, but at the end of the day, it's my name at the top of it. It's nobody else's fault. Like we just had a weird weekend and we got to go home and we'll make it up in the summer when we do this gig and this gig and this gig. So I think part of all that's just having the long view. The same thing with what you do. It's you like, man, what? you might have a bad show or you might whatever, but take the long view sometimes. Well, or it's um, breadcrumbs. Yes. I just heard about that from someone who might have been my therapist, <laughs> if we're being honest, um, because it's exactly that same thing, right? It's like believing in something that you really are passionate about and you feel like this is what makes me happy and this is what I know I wanna do. But to your point about selling the tickets, it's like if you're not seeing that instant response, yeah. what do you do, right? Well, I'll say this, this is, I shouldn't say numbers on 
your podcast, but I have basically sold out every room I've I've played in this year, and we went to Boston, and we didn't sell out in Boston, and that's a huge market for me, and I was really confused, and it was Easter weekend, and it was kind of weird, and I was like, okay, Celtics playoff game, but you're always competing with something, so it's not really an excuse, it just was a weird, it was just kind of strange to me. Well, then, the next night we went to upstate New York, and we, we sold 150 tickets, which is not a lot of tickets. Like, that's not a bunch of tickets, but it was one of the most gratifying shows that I've played on this entire tour because I literally, I'm not kidding, after the show I talked to every single person that was in the room. And that is almost more valuable than having a full room because like those people are gonna feel really invested in what I'm doing and they're gonna come back and they're gonna bring two or three people and they're gonna buy, every single person bought a poster or a t-shirt. Like, so I got back and my business manager was like, you did really good on merch this weekend. And I was like, did I really? Like, there's no one there. But it was cool and, and I think you get in this mindset especially when you do entertainment and you probably feel the same way where it's like you're sometimes you catch yourself thinking about the people that aren't there instead mm -hmm. of the people that are there and that's just a human thing like i don't know like this is a business but at the same time like what a fun business to be in and even if it's just 150 people tonight obviously you wish it was more you always wish it was more but um it was just really cool to have that connection with like that many people like every single person got to talk to me and that was awesome that's really cool yeah because I, I think a lot too it's i think about it like is it you know we're so blessed to be able to do things that that we're passionate about right like i love talking about sports i love talking about music and sports um but yeah sometimes and for you i can't imagine what that must be like writing and being able to take what you create that is this amazing thing and putting it out there right so that's it, I'm I'm totally missing what my point is at this moment, okay. but you know what I mean, right? It's like <laughs> you just you kind of sometimes it's very difficult to see the forest through the trees, mm -hmm. and that you know, luckily, like I have an amazing manager, and I think the best thing you can always do is like remind your people how good it's going, because no matter what, most days are not glamorous, right? Like they're not. It's like sitting in a chair getting your makeup done, or it's. None of that stuff's that fun. Uh, well, I, li I like the makeup done. Part. Okay. <laughs> Depends what they're using. The easy, the, the, but the like most of the stuff is not just like walking a carpet and getting your photo taken and just being famous. Most of it's like riding in a bus to somewhere that you may or may not want to go and then sitting there all day waiting to play a show starting at 9 o'clock or 9.30 and you're just trying not to drink. You're like figuring out how to figure out, like fill your day so that it's productive and fun and that you stay positive and not tired by the time you go on. And I just think sometimes you forget how good you have it. And I think that's true of like a lot of people and, and uh, especially a lot of people that like do what we do because like the travel is hard. We had, I had like four out of five days last week were pre 6 a.m. wake ups, like 4 a.m. sometimes, like just to get on an airplane to get to do the next thing. And that's hard work. That's not glamorous at all. But at the end of the day, like, man, we got people who, want to play my song on the radio we have people who want to come see us play live and that's that's pretty much like that's that's the dream right there that's all i ever wanted to do since i was 11 years old you know what you are you're a baseball player there we go because that's what it is yeah. right it's like waking up it. going to another city getting ready going through bp you yeah. know sometimes your family's there sometimes they're not i got to hit bp on the field at wrigley that's amazing yeah. so wait so you are you're a braves and a cubs fan well i mostly a braves fan and then the cubs i mean there's nothing like there's no more incredible franchise in the whole world than the chicago cubs right so i'm a chicago kid i just have sort of adopted that in the last few years because i got to go to wrigley and meet all those people mm -hmm. and you know i've always you know you always pull for the cubs because they're local but and that you know there's the storyline you pull for them to like break the curse and whatever but i just ended up meeting a lot of those people and they were really kind to me and the first day as this guy named jason mcleod mm -hmm. who's runs the minors for them and i met him through some country music people and uh he took me in the tunnel he took me all through the clubhouse showed me like wrigley we were there for florida georgia line when they played wrigley okay and then 
Jason, I, I met Jason. He's like, you want to see the clubhouse? And I was like, yes, I do. I'd love to see the clubhouse. <laughs> he took me all through it and they still had the uh, cage in the tunnel. Yeah. He's like, you want to hit some BP? And I was like, yeah. So I was hitting right-handed and uh, hit a, co- you know, my friend Addy who works here was there too. And then I was like, hey, can I take a couple left-handed? Because I, I could switch it when I was a kid. And he kind of rolls his eyes like, yeah, we can do a couple left-handed. And I, for whatever reason, had like, the Ken Griffey Jr. swing of all swings and just <laughs> unloaded on this baseball. And he's like, whoa. And I said, yeah, whoa, <laughs> that's not normal. He's like, we got to get you on the field. So I said, "How? what, what are you doing September 9th? So I flew in on <laughs> oh September 9th against the Brewers. And then like Jason let me hit, you know, they let me hit BP like in between the Cubs and the Brewers. So it was awesome. How was that experience? The Brewers heckled me because they saw my name on the back of my shirt and they saw I was just dribbling them out to like right field <laughs> and they were laughing at me. They're like, Hurt, are you playing today? <laughs> I was wearing jeans, my jersey, but it was incredible. Like you don't, I don't know, just my dad was in center field shagging balls. I love it. I was like, where, where did dad go? And all of a sudden I see him running in. He's got all these baseballs. He was throwing balls out into the crowd. He was having the best time. Oh my God, that's amazing. I'm doing the stretch this year. You're going to sing it? Yeah. When? June 21. Wow. Lake Shake weekend. So then I play on Sunday. That's so cool. Yeah, you should go, you should definitely come in for Lake Shake. We may, well, I may have to. Yeah. That's amazing. So so when you do that, is there more? I mean, you don't have to practice for that. For the, the stretch? The, no, I think you just go, Cubs fans. Oh. Let me hear you. <laughs> a one. A two. I think that's how you do it. Take me out to the ball game. Anytime you forget the words, you just do this. You point the microphone out to them. <laughs> that's the good part about being in music, right? You know all the tricks. What's your um, What's your favorite moment on stage? And do you have a pre-game slash pre-show ritual? My favorite moment on stage... Um, so right now our set does... Uh, I do a Kenny Chesney cover, mm-hmm. Anything But Mine, which is my favorite country song ever. And um, Why is that your favorite? Because it was written by, so we do so much co-writing in Nashville. Everything is co-writing. Um, and Anything But Mine is written by one guy named Scooter Caruso. And then it was a massive hit on Kenny Chesney. And I feel like it was a song that came out and it was the first time anyone really wrote that story of like spring break at the beach. And I feel like we've tried to rewrite it hundreds and hundreds of times in Nashville and no one's ever really done it. And it's just the original like beach song in country music. And it just, no matter who, like no matter who you are in my crowd, you know, in the morning I'm leaving, making my way back to Cleveland and it's just a really cool moment for me and it's I've never done covers before it's the first time I've ever done covers and so I just love doing that tune and then I do Dress by Taylor Swift Mm -hmm. which is terrifying because if you mess up the words then all her people are going to come after you but they haven't they've been nice to me so far and they're dressed like Christmas trees we went to her show in Miami and she's got the whole crowd there this was the country version of Taylor and they were all Christmas trees because she grew up on a Christmas tree farm yeah people were dressed up in trees such a great show it's crazy we went to the one in dallas last year mm-hmm. it's crazy and then i do michigan for the winter so that's my favorite part of that set is those three songs in a row just because for whatever reason michigan for the winter is like the biggest song with my crowd which was unexpected but is very special and those other two songs i just think are a little left of center for what you'd expect from mm-hmm. someone like me mm-hmm. And so they're just really fun to do all like right there in a row. That surprises me that you say that was unexpected. Why was it unexpected? Um, I think that a song like that is like a songwriter's song. Like you don't expect it to ever resonate like a hit, like you, like a typical hit song resonates where it's just like, I like this. It's catchy. I'm going to play it a hundred times in a row on my boat or in my car. Like it's like a very thought out um, narrative very thought out storyline it's a story song and so it kind of was a little it it just well, I never really expected that like my label would agree to release it and I never really expected that like 
people would love it as much as they did. I don't know. Maybe it's just like no matter what you do when you're doing any creative work, you kind of think it's you're always scared it's going to bomb, especially if it's like super artsy. And that to me is like one of my like probably my favorite song I've ever written. So you're extra scared that no one's going to like it. But, you know, it became it's become a really big deal on, you know, it started out on the highway on Sirius mm -hmm. and for whatever reason has really resonated with people that like my music and it's it's kind of the biggest moment of of my set to me it is i mean it's at least uh, at certainly the most unexpected moment of my set where did it come from i feel like you've told the story a lot no. but where because i'm also i'm just curious what it's like for you when you start you know the idea of writing a song and what that process is like and i don't okay well i have my cell phone right here it's an iPhone. <laughs> Just in case you're okay. curious. Yep. The visual so for we're looking those at your iPhone. who are still listening. And I have, oh, that's not it. But I have like a note which just says ideas and I have all these like ideas and then scratch paper basically of like things that could be songs. Like the longest note page I've ever seen on an or iPhone. Or lyrics, but wow. it's just like a bunch of like just things that could be songs. And usually I have like two or three that I've been like chewing on and I just kind of got off of a, a run where I wrote like three or four songs that were like my ideas. But Michigan for the Winter was just one that I was like, I really obsessed with, my friend Jesse Joe is the same way, we've talked about it, but she wrote Break Up in the End, which is a massive, yeah. it was a Grammy nominated country song. And we were, we've both talked about the idea of like the title giving, a, like being the entire story. Mm -hmm. So like I got kind of obsessed with like forward titles that gave it all away and so michigan for the winter is like a sentence and a story all on its own it's sort of like a and and so all you're doing is kind of filling in the blanks with the lyrics and so it took like four months to finish because i just wanted to get it right there's basically like there's that kind of two choruses in it and there's like that pre-chorus and the chorus and then but it's basically like describing where i grew up and at the same time telling a story about why you're going there at like the worst time to ever go to Michigan, right? Like nobody goes to Michigan for the winter and that's why it's like, that's what makes it compelling is like basically like you're looking for solitude. You're looking for like to be alone. You're looking to escape from like this painful place, even though the weather is terrible, like at least there's solitude and at least there's like, you know, something familiar. And so, that's that's kind of where the idea came from and uh i mean i've got another song coming out later this year called florida with a girl same idea it's like me rewriting anything but mine not as good but like not to sell myself short but it's just like i don't think anyone will ever beat the first time someone's written that story and but i love i wrote a song and then i have a song coming out next month called her name was summer i just love these like forward titles that kind of like are already a story right they're like a it's poem like when you're and um you know like when you're a kid and you're in a writing class or your english class and and you're supposed to like you're given a title and you have to write a story to that title yes that's, that's cool. all of songwriting though like generally i would say eight out of ten songs start with a title you think of the title before yeah you kind of write backwards that's a, like uh, my most co-writing in nashville tennessee is it, it starts like that people with ideas in their phones they're like what about something like this how would you write that i don't know but i think it could be maybe like this sort of angle and i mean there's this i mean the, the truth about writing songs is there's never a bad idea if you can write it the right way right mm -hmm. like that's you could write a song called like you know orange speakers in the corner and if you could figure out a story there or an angle to do it then like it doesn't matter what the title is or what the song's about as long as you make it a compelling story and so like that's sort of like what we're always trying to chase is like obviously you want it to like look good on the back of a record but how like what's the angle it's always it's probably the same as like telling stories about sports is like you can say who won or lost but like that's not what makes it compelling right right it's always about like it's about like the game winning walk off the right? story the, it's about Damian Lillard yeah. drop it like hitting a 37 foot jumper to win a series and yep. then staring down a camera like it didn't say Lillard hits shot with zero seconds left to win it's like no he had a 37 foot jumper in Paul George's face totally no that's, time I mean, left 
And that's what makes it compelling. That's the whole story behind doing good highlights, right? Yes. On sports is like, what can you weave in and give context? I mean, sometimes it writes itself, but that's why when I talked about George Mason's final four, when they beat UConn to go, I remember that they, there was one guy, Lamar Butler Jr. And he had, his dad used to take him out on the back court and they would, they would just hit shots and they would say, this is for the final four. And so the moment that that, we knew that they won the game, everyone circled them out there under one of the hoops and those two guys are just crying together and they're just chanting final four final four that's incredible right i know it's amazing what was the so i saw that that you were talking about what the difference in going from you know doing the songwriting to being on the other side right is the the main perform i mean what's was there something that was really tough that you didn't expect in that or surprising i had to get a spray tan that was pretty unexpected are Uh, you serious yeah, because I went and did this carpet with Marin. I think the ACMs like two years ago, and I looked like Larry Bird <laughs> next to her. I was like, <laughs> I got to not look so clear. So now we get, I get a spray tan all the time, which is weird. I don't know. The thing about being an artist that's different is you. Ninety percent of what this is is not about music. When you're a writer, you're creative one hundred percent of your time. When you're an artist, you're creative like ten percent of the time. Even your live show is like, you're doing the same thing every night. So, you know, that's just two different sides of your brain. And so like, you have to learn how to dress, you have to learn how to stand, you have to learn how to talk, you have to be media trained, you have to take photos, you have to be good at Instagram. Like who cares? Are you good? No. And I don't, (laughs) and that's probably why people follow me is because like, there's nothing ever gonna go up there that's not like 100% like something (laughs) that I'm inspired to put up. And so, I don't know. I don't even know how many followers I have anymore. I used to keep track. I haven't looked in a while, but the, um, I don't know. There's like all these things you have to be good at that have nothing to And you have to have relationships with radio and you have to have relationships with mm-hmm. all the media people in town. You have to like kind of always be on. You know, you probably know about that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of hard to be on all the time. I got in a lot, I've gotten in a lot of trouble before just because I didn't feel like being somewhere and everyone could tell. And that's just you have to learn how to be an artist and it's probably the same as like all these nba players who just next question their press conferences and it's like dude that's that's just the job like sorry that you don't want to answer but you're in the nba and you that's just sometimes you got to show up to the you got to go and you just got to show up it's also though what's different for them is if you do it that way and then you go out though and you still score 40 points that's true you win the game and no one cares that's for true you, no one cares. if you go out there right and you know right you the we yeah you lose all benefit of the doubt if you're a jerk and you it's you have a bad your single flops or something you just have to always be on and Marin's really good at that i've actually had a front row seat to like a rocket ship taking off and that's really fun um to see like to see somebody do every single part of this really well she's been doing this since she was 11 years old so everybody thinks she's an overnight success i mean she's she's put in her time and her miles and whatever but she's also extremely excellent at every single part of being a country music artist in nashville tennessee and a pop artist accidentally so we i've gotten to watch the way that she carries herself and conducts herself and like really learned a lot from that and so you know, there's some stuff that, I don't know. I don't know how inside I want to get, but like just investing in having a stylist, even if it seems like it's a waste of money or a waste of time, like at some point it's not. And just having the look, having the confidence, knowing that you're not walking into a situation looking like a, like. Like a guy that just went out and got a spray tan. That right? part I don't mind. No, no, no. What I mean, yeah. because what I mean is there are good spring tans and there are bad ones, right? Oh, yeah. Like, so no, I went I'm to serious. Suntan City the other day for the first time because I needed to <laughs> not look like Larry Bird. Sorry, Larry. <laughs> Sorry. But I, I didn't, usually we have somebody come to our house and do it, and um, which is, makes me really comfortable because like Marin's there and like I'm just, yeah. Not, it's just, I'm, I'm more comfortable just doing it like that, but I was like, press for time and they're like you need to go get tan and i was like fine and so mary's like go to suntan city like okay and i go in and i and i do the whole thing and i think i do it right and i get home the next like wake up in the morning the next day and i didn't know that you were supposed to like cover your toes (laughs) your toenails up with vaseline with something yeah so my toes have been permanently (laughs) yellow 
for the last like month and i'm just like how i i think i'm i have to go get like a pedicure just to get the like my toes to not look like they're that gross my um my husband goes to get manicures and pedicures more than i do not because i mean i love doing it but he just like it is a thing he needs it he needs it and it just it gives him confidence sure and i think that's really cool but i'm also you know like sometimes i'm jealous i got nothing i've never had one i've got nothing wrong with doing cosmetic stuff now because you just realize like you know it's important to like walk out with your game face on every day and then you start it comes back to like can you go out in public and what is that like mm-hmm. it's if you just know that it's going to happen and you make sure that you are just the slightest bit on then it's not a big deal so it's like making sure you got your manicure and your pedicure and you're <laughs> dressed right and you're comfortable taking a photograph with somebody it's it's important to always kind of always be on even though i'm not i'm not a, i'm not good at this <laughs> but i'm getting better my wife's really good at it how do you guys how do you make it work how do you do the, the balance we have the same manager which is really helpful and so she's not only in charge of our careers but she's also like making sure that she's carving out time to where we have days off together and that like we can like if i want to go see her show somewhere that like i get to wherever it is and then like if i land at an airport like the her tour manager will make sure that i get to the bus and like all that we just have a really good group of people around us that make sure that like they've kind of taken ownership of our personal life in a really special way like where they make sure that like they know that like the making sure that we see each other as part of the, it was never said to them like part of your job is uh, like coordinating our personal life but they've just kind of been really good about taking it upon themselves to make sure that we see each other as much as we can and we've seen each other basically since like november until like now like almost like every single day and then when we both started touring like opposite schedules now it's like we both have bus call tonight at midnight and we'll go and play our shows and then bus call means that's when you're that's so we have our buses sitting at a spot where we can all like everyone parks their cars and then the bands and the crew all jump on these buses and then at midnight and then we roll to wherever we're going oh, we wake up like in the NASCAR. morning it that's is my sport i know that's really? awesome yeah i love it okay we can talk about that more do you love it i don't love it but i keep up with it and i have a lot of friends like jake owens a huge nascar guy mm-hmm. and he, he loves, was the daytona 500 yeah he got that last guitar from sam wow sam bass yeah the famed nascar mm-hmm. artist he got the last right. one ever wow isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's awesome. He was telling me that story. I didn't, I didn't know much know about it. Marin had one of those guitars, and um, yeah, yeah, that was a huge deal when he passed away because he's yeah. been such a, a legend in that sport. And I right. remember I was working down there in Charlotte doing Race Hub that the day we found out, and the guys that were in the studio with me were like, "Oh man, you wouldn't believe it." Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is like nasty. Like we we travel at night, and people are always. I have my buddy. My buddy's coming to our show in Atlanta. He's like, "Are you in Atlanta yet?" And I was like, "No, we no, we don't get there like a day early. We get there." the morning of and then roll out and set our stuff up and um we play a show but yeah so we have bus called night so basically like we'll after this i'll go we'll go hang out and go to dinner or something and then like maybe go to a bar and then get picked up go to the bus and we'll go our separate ways and then i get home saturday to do the draft party yep. at 9 a.m first 9 a.m gig ever and uh i was like is that strategic i mean that's that's cool like i'm a morning person so i think i'm that's, a morning person okay that I was curious um but no it wasn't strategic it was just <laughs> like hey we got this offer yeah we think it'd be fun do, do you think we could work and luckily we were like five hours away instead of like 12 so we can like get there at 6 a.m and roll off the bus all hung over <laughs> and then bloody marys but wait but i mean like did you did you ever think when you were like 11 or whatever that you would be doing that like performing a show at the nfl draft maybe you did i don't know uh if you would have stopped at performing a show i would have said yes but the nfl draft no this is the only job i've ever wanted to do like i was going to go to grad school because i didn't think i could make this work but i ended up somehow like doing the thing right in front of me over and over to where it did meaning what what just like you do this like you just do if you think about like i want to be kenny chesney you're never going to do it. But if you think like, I need to get a publishing deal, how do I do that? Then you can, every little thing, you do every little step in front of you over and over. And then you wake up one day and you're where you kind of hoped you'd be someday. 
Um, so I told my high school girlfriend, uh, she was, you know, high school kids are strange, but she's like, do you think we could like, you know, be together when we're grown up? And I was like, I don't know, I'm gonna live on a tour bus. So you can <laughs> get used to that idea. I remember that I was like 15 years old or 16 years old. And then like, I look at it now, I'm like, I live on a tour bus. So it's kind of crazy. But I've always loved sports so much and I never thought that like music would open doors to sports the way that it has. Like I've gotten to do so much amazing stuff, like so many amazing things. Like I walked onto the field at SunTrust, just I walked from the street down the steps onto the field the other day. And I just imagined like if I, I ran the bases at when I was a kid at Turner, like one of those nights, just like I'm eight years old running the bases. And now I'm just walking onto the field and like, you just never really imagine being able to walk, like just do the things, have the opportunities that I've had in sports just because I have done well in something else. I think a lot of people who do sports wish they did music. Yep. And a lot of people who do music wish they did sports. For sure. So, uh, no, I, I have a lot of those moments where, I mean, I sat next to Chipper Jones the other day at the, All at the Braves game. He was behind me and I just, I couldn't stop. St That's my favorite athlete of all time. You <laughs> oh, know? really? He oh, is? yeah, of course. Him and Jeter, because Jeter is it's from Kalamazoo also. And uh, But I don't know. You, and you say, like, playing an event at the draft. No. But I also didn't think Nashville would ever have a draft, you know? Like, mm -hmm. we are really lucky to be... This city has grown so much, and we throw a hell of a party. And I think... Like people are going to walk away from this weekend the same way they walked away from the NHL All-Star Game two years ago. They're going to say, that was incredible. Because we just are really good at entertaining people. Like, the stage looks amazing. Broadway is going to be so fun. Like, all the bars are ready. There's going to be so much to do. Like, I just think that this is an entertainment town and they will always put their best foot forward with an event like this. I mean, we do it all the time with like CMA Fest. Mm -hmm. We do it all the time with, you know, Bridgestone. And, you know, we have the biggest New Year's Eve in the country as far as like the fireworks show. And we have 100,000 people that come and see whoever's playing. Usually it's Keith Urban. And so like, we're not like it. It doesn't feel like it's new for us to like do a draft thing which is a really cool thing and it makes me really proud to be to like live in Nashville so I don't know when you're like I don't know if that that's like a long answer to your I don't remember the question, question. <laughs> no <laughs> you said would you ever like think you're playing like playing yeah, yeah, at the draft when you're growing up well, I played at the all-star game it it was not very uh, there was not very many <laughs> there was nobody there but that was cool <laughs> it was fine well no I think it's cool I remember because Cole Swindell told a story about his Braves obsession but how when he was a kid he wanted to be playing as a member of the Atlanta Braves and flash forward and he's playing you know at their stadium right yeah. and so it's kind of what you're saying it's like you this you, you can't see it maybe you think that there's a way that's going to happen but it's just kind of cool how stuff takes on a different life of its own yeah and it's really I just I know he's the same way where like he gets to go to the masters and just yeah. just go we get to do so much stuff. I mean, we went to the Super Bowl. I got to see Tom play in the Super Bowl because Marin had a show up there and we had front row seats. And I was like, we are at the Super Bowl right now. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. Like, and she doesn't care about sports, but it, she cares about like doing fun stuff with me. And she, know, she knew that it would be like pretty badass to, to be like for me, like to take me to that event. And I don't know. That, we've gotten to do so much amazing stuff and was there a moment that you remember when you were like oh maybe we shouldn't just be friends yeah um well it's weird i mean we were we started out and we just had a creative relationship so like we started out writing songs together mm -hmm. and then it, you know I mean, we got together New Year's Eve was kind of like what we call our first date. So it was cool. I mean, we, I think there was always something there, but you just, you don't want to wreck the creative thing. And, but like, as far as like one moment, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm at some point you just can't stop it anymore. There's just nothing you can do. And so <laughs> I just remember like we were going to the same party on New Year's Eve, like three and a half years ago and just kind of looked at each other like, 
yeah, we're, we're going to date now. And it was kind of cool. So, um, yeah, I did that whole like midnight thing and everybody saw and you're like, Oh, I guess we're, <laughs> I guess we're an item now. So, um, it was, yeah, I don't know if there was one moment, but you know, when you're in a, when you're writing songs with somebody too, like there is a certain amount of vulnerability that is required in order to like be great. And so we wrote so many great songs and have had cuts with other artists and cuts on each other's records. And I think that like that, like just turned like that vulnerability just opened up into like so much, so much more. And there's a lot of trust there creatively. And I mean, we wrote last turn home and we weren't, dating in any way and Tim McGraw recorded it but it's a song that's going on my record mm -hmm. and um, you know it's a song that's grown in meaning and we've played it live together a hundred times you know at her shows it's like her encore and I just really you know look back at like the times that we you know we had that were just creative but were like maybe subliminally so much more than that maybe you're like saying something to the other person without really saying it or without saying it out loud but you're saying it through like whatever you're creating and so you know we still do that we still have like it's not the most important thing anymore but we still do like write songs for each other's records and we still sing on each other's records and she sings on to a t and i sang on the songs i wrote on her album and so it's it's i don't know i feel like it's like a really symbiotic thing my husband and I are in the same business and it's not that it's not like that but but it's cool I get it I mean it's just it's there's a level of support that you get from that though there is and people don't always like I remember initially people were like okay careful you know like that's sure. not great to be in the same business but, but it's also not great to be with somebody who doesn't understand what your what yeah. it takes to be like successful in your passion like in your passion project right mm -hmm. like it it's very special to be with somebody who's like who understands why you need to be in California when you really don't want to be, but you, if you got to be in California, it's because you got to be in California. And it's not like it, it, that part is really special is to like have somebody who's like, you can be emotionally gone, like nothing in the tank. Yep. And you can be like, I hate this right now. And then be like, I, you're right. That's really hard. I totally get it. And that part is priceless. You know, there, there's totally the other side of that coin where it's like, you never get out of, that world right right you're, it's, it's a lot you're of conversation like still kind of dating somebody at work weirdly but it's not it there's that part of it that is irreplaceable that support that understanding nobody gets it unless like the part for us that's like you will never it's probably the same for you guys like you don't ever turn it off like yeah, and you know what? I would be interested to know what you think about this because I see that so much and it actually makes me really respect my husband, right? Because he right now is in the position where he's dealing with more of that, right? But he's really genuine when he does it. So I'm from a different perspective watching it and I've been there too. But I'm like, wow, you know, it's it's draining, yeah. right? And it's not because you're being fake. It's just because you have to, it's, it is a different kind of lifestyle. Uh-huh, yeah. And when you come home, what do you talk about? Like, you talk about work, but you talk about work with somebody who truly understands what that work is and what it takes to do it and why it's, why they're so passionate about it. And mm -hmm. It's very easy to like, I think if you don't, to be with somebody who might not be as supportive of you bringing your work home in your mind, right? And, but if you are with somebody who also can't turn it off, it's like, man, that's, just let's get it out on the table so that we can move on and do something else, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, we talk about, we sat outside last night and talked for three hours about music. <laughs> I mean, it really shows and whatever. Like opinions? Sponsorship. Do you guys you bounce stuff off each other with that? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. she's like a sounding board for, create, like creatively, like I'll play her songs and I, if her eyes light up, I know it's great. Sometimes it's great and she just doesn't get it because <laughs> I think I'm brilliant, but... Um, yeah, that's part of it. But also just like, yeah, we talked about like a sponsorship deal that we both have and like just bouncing like our experiences off like that we've had on the road about it and saying like, how do we like make it better? Or what's the, been the, what have been the fun parts of it? And 
because truly we have we both have really fun road careers right now and it's a lot easier now than like it's a lot easier to do like the schedule we have now than it was has been in the past and but yeah you just sit on the back and just talk not talk shop but it's like this is your life this is my life this is not just a job this is this isn't just like what we do this is who like when you do music when you do entertainment you show business this is who you are mm-hmm. and uh it's kind of fun to have somebody else it is very fun to have somebody else who gets it if you had one Super Bowl moment that you would, um, one moment that maybe would be your Super Bowl. I know you've been to the Super Bowl, but what would it be? I don't know. I think being nominated for Song of the Year. I don't have to win it, but I've been a songwriter in Nashville for seven years now professionally and, and I feel like I've, I'm really well respected as a songwriter and as, a, as someone, like I feel like my perspective is very well respect, like is just my perspective is very well respected. Whatever, that was, that was for me. But <laughs> for whatever reason, I just think like that is sort of my, that's my Super Bowl is like being nominated in that category. It doesn't have to be as an artist. I I can do like if that's that'd be really special for me. So ACM or CMA or Grammy or whatever being nominated for a country song of the year would be. That's sort of always been like in the back of my mind as something that I that would that would mean a lot more than a lot of other things. I don't know. I feel like you'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough. You'll never sell enough tickets. But like something like that having your own little piece of country music history because of the art that you made that's that's what really makes me makes me go is the 10 percent of the artist side of it just as good as the 100 percent creative now that you've i love been there I, I talk about what i do as wearing like two it's like wearing a pair of shoes i saw you said that yeah you've seen that okay I so saw, you've like i read damn it that's okay. No, that's, so you said one shoe is like, it's yeah, like right? wearing pants and a shirt. <laughs> I don't know. It's like two different gloves. But I still write songs for other artists. Like I yeah, find yeah. that to be very fulfilling and that's honestly how I make a living. So like you can't, I can't do one without the other right now. Like I need to be creatively fulfilled. I'm not writing 200 songs a year anymore, but I'm writing enough to where I'm like scratching that itch and like getting on enough records to where it, it still means something. And, but I can't, I've had so many doors open up as an artist, like within like the writing side, sports, actually selling tickets to shows, people coming to see me. Like, I, I don't know. I love that part of my life now. And I just, I'm really glad that I spent the two years really struggling to make that part work because now it's starting to pay off, not even in like a financial way, but in like a, a heart way, you know, you're like really doing things that like going, to, I'm so excited to get on a bus tonight and go play Athens and Atlanta. And you know, a guy just walked by and said, tickets look cool and it'll be fun. Like, that's all I care about is like the, the room is going to feel right. And then I'll get home and we'll have a great weekend. And that's it. Like that to me is, so that's what I've been building toward for the last few years is like trying to make that life happen for me and for Marin. And, but I can't do that without, the creative part like I have to do the creative thing and and you know it's like I took the pressure off of it like I don't write as much I probably write 60 songs a year now instead of like 200 but once I took the pressure off of it like great things started to happen like creatively opened up people started cutting the tunes like it's kind of became so like, how'd you do that how'd you let the pressure off what? well I spend all my time trying to be an artist so. <laughs> and that huh. takes up all of your attention but it's a good thing it's so like, you made at some point you had to make a okay here's my decision I'm going for yeah, it when you sign that record deal you're you're done like you you give yourself completely to that goal and so that's just that's what it takes so um that doesn't mean that I don't try to write good songs for other artists. I try every week to do that, but it's just not, you know, your energy has to go toward the artist part. The thing that I think is cool is the relatability factor. Like, I think that's, that's not a coincidence, right? I mean, that's like, there's, that's what your songs are. It's what storyteller songs are. Right. And like for you to take it on stage and it's, it's just all natural. I hope so. I try to smile a lot on stage. I feel like a lot of people try to like be tough or mean mug the crowd and, or like be something larger than what it actually is. And, and I just like to like look at people and smile and hope that like 
I think people really dig it. I have a lot of people <laughs> just be like, you look real happy up there. And I'm like, that's the point. We're supposed to like share something <laughs> here. And I just have, have tried really hard to just make a human connection with people. So like all that stuff together has been, a, it's been a really, really fun year. It's starting to pay off and it's, it sort of feels like a, you know, like a guy who's been a six man for his entire career, like a senior finally getting a scholarship. <laughs> like but you're so young. That sort you're of thing. So young. I know, but I've been here for a while and I've been yeah. doing this for a long time. And like, I literally know everybody in Nashville. Like every, for the most part, I know every artist, I know every writer. I've worked with most of them. And like, I'm not young here. Like this is, I'm like kind of like right in my prime. So it's kind of fun that it ended up like all that work is sort of now like paying off in a really like satisfying way. So great to talk to you. Thank you, you. You have the stretch, the stretch coming I have the up. Stretch. Right? We have the awesome. draft. Yep. Go blue. Go Titans. Whatever. The king of sports. Yeah. Ryan right. Hurd. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> Very kind okay, of you, but <laughs> thank okay. you. So fun to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah. What an awesome guy. Um, Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. A special thank you to Ryan Hurd, who was so cool, so candid. I totally appreciated the time, especially during draft week, we should say, when he was run ragged. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Players. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. And don't forget, please leave a review while you're there. And then pick like a hundred friends and tell them to go and listen. Um, Thank you so much. And also, of course, thank you to the folks at Cadence 13, especially producer Bob um, for all your hard production work. All right, guys, see you next week.